Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to Basics. I am thrilled to have Barbara Jordan as our special guest today. Barb, as most people call her, has traveled the world as an elite athlete, coach, instructor, and broadcaster. In 2019, she decided to found Always Bev, which mission is to educate, empower, and provide resources to prevent violence and sexual assault against women. Always Bev has become a powerful platform through which Barb is able to share her passion of educating others on the importance of personal safety and keen awareness in everyday life. Hello, Barb. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm, I'm actually quite excited, you know, because we never met, but I, I, I follow a little bit of what you're doing and I'm so impressed about your mm-hmm. mission. And I think this is going to be a great episode with a very, very powerful message. So thanks for being here. Yes, yes. I look forward to it. Yeah. And, you know, because it's just uh, the way the show goes, I always have to ask my guests to to share with me about your childhood like well let's go back to basics into into getting to know you and and what can you share about your family and where were you raised and what most importantly what were you passionate about as a, as a young child ah uh, well i grew up in northridge california and i grew up on a street with maybe a handful of girls and probably 20 or more boys. Okay, sounded interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, back then, children actually played outside and we played anything from hide hide and seek to baseball in the cul-de-sac to football on the street. And if you wanted to play, you had to play with the boys. So that right away pretty much toughened all the women or then all the girls on the street that toughened us up. Well, that's always good. I can relate to that. I had an older brother and <laughs> he always, if if I wanted to play with him and let's say it was soccer, he always put me as the goalie <laughs> so to try to prevent me from wanting to play. And of course that just made me tougher and tougher. <laughs> yes. So you were a, a sportsy type from a young age, I guess. Absolutely. Just sports was what I loved. It didn't matter, you know, what sport was being played outside or after school, whatever it was. But that was really, you know, just what I always spent most of my time doing. And then as I got older, I got involved in organized sports, played high school basketball, high school softball. And then collegiately, I went on to play softball at Cal State Northridge. Okay. Okay. And besides sports, any other passions, any other things that you like, do you, uh, did you envision? I know you were a broadcaster for a while. Is that, yes. is that something related? Like what, what did you envision yourself doing growing up? Uh, well, my family thought I would never finish playing softball. So <laughs> okay. Once I came to that conclusion in my early thirties that, you know, it was time to move on. I actually got into coaching. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to go back to my alma mater where I was the assistant coach 
for a short time. And then I became the head coach and I did that for about nine years. And, and then I just made a, a career move. I had some, some health issues and I decided to make a career move and I love softball and an opportunity opened up broadcasting mm-hmm. and I just, you know, fell in love with the fact that I could talk about softball. I could talk about the elite stars of the game. And it was a great way for me to stay involved. Okay. Wow. You, it sounds like you found a way to, to, to remain kind of connected to something that you were passionate about. That's a lot about what we talk on this show is how do we stay connected to what makes us tick? So it sounds to me like you were able to do that. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, I did not have, I had experience speaking publicly, but that was more in like teaching settings Mm-hmm. Uh, clinic settings, always typically about the sport of softball. I did teach some courses at Cal State Northridge, but being in front of a microphone and then realizing you're on air, it was, you know, it was, it was quite a challenge because you didn't want to make a mistake because everybody <laughs> would know about it. So it took me a little bit of time to, I guess, find my voice and to find my rhythm. But over time, I think it's something that, you know, like I said, I, I love the experience. Great. That sounds great. And uh, so you were probably, I I don't know if I could say it this way, but you were set. And I know that then life throws curveballs at you. And I know that uh, you went through a personal experience that was tragic in your family. And that was really what prompted you to kind of found Always Bev, which uh, if I'm not mistaken, it means always be vigilant. Yes, Bev, always be vigilant. In fact, I was I was on an airplane and I'm like, what can I do with Bev's name? So let me just go back just a little bit. When I was in my fifth year of college, so I was still on campus. And of course, you know, when you're in college, you're in the highlight of your glory. You know, you just are on top of the world. And I remember being at a sorority volleyball game and we were playing our rivals and running back and forth up the sideline and waving my arms in the air and cheering on my sorority and my college roommate came down onto the court and spun me around. And she said, you have to go home right away. Something's happened to one of your sisters. Mm -hmm. Of course, back then we didn't have cell phones. And I remember just looking at her and thinking to myself, one of my sisters is dead. I just knew it. I just knew that that one of them had died. They were twins, identical twins. How many sisters you have? Two sisters. Okay, two most. Okay. So... It was a 30-minute drive home, and I, I got to my parents' house about 9, 9.30 at night, and just for a brief moment, there was just one light on in the back of the house, and just for a brief moment, I thought, everything's okay. Mm-hmm. But when I got to the door, and my parents opened the door, my dad was standing there, my mom was standing by his side, just sobbing, and he just looked at me, and he said, Rich murdered your sister Beverly today. And my mom was just sitting there crying and saying, he murdered her. He murdered your beautiful sister. And at that point, you know, they say the saying is your life has changed forever. And the the joy that I knew in life, the easiness, the trust, all of that was gone. You know, it just, it did. It changed our lives forever. And it's been a long process. In fact, this November is over 30 years to when the event happened. He actually sat at our Thanksgiving dinner and four days after that, it was her fiance 
Yeah, I was going to for the audience. I kind of know the story because I read a little bit. But so it was your sister's fiance that, that. Yes, yes. And there were money concerns and a concern of a life insurance policy, different things that we didn't know of at the time. But he came to our Thanksgiving, sat with our family, which was our treasured holiday. And four days later, he tricked her into going to an isolated road where he shot and killed her. Oh, my God, Barbie. It's uh... Uh, I'm so sorry. The story is just when I, you know, someone brought it up to me just uh, and I shared this with you already via email. But for the audience, I've shared this on my podcast that one of my best friends was also uh, murdered by her husband. And so and I had exactly in the sense that I was with them one week before having coffee and everything seemed fine. And then you have to deal with the fact that then these tragedy happens and, and and in the hands of the person that should have protected them the most which mm. i think is the is the part that is really deal with uh, hard to deal and uh in, in my friend's case he committed suicide right afterwards so we we never had that like why but i understand that your your sister's murder because you know it's the only way you can call a person like this he went to jail and then he was released after how many years Uh, after about 30 years, he was released. He was released in July 2018. He lives in Los Angeles. And I just thought to myself, of course, we were upset, you know, that, that he would get to be free. But I just thought to myself, what can I do? And I just thought so many people like this are walking around fooling people, you know, acting like, hey, I'm so-and-so and I'm from here, you know. The, of course, he's not going to say I spent the last 30 years in jail. He's going to tell somebody, how do you explain away 30 years of your life? So, you know, what's he going to say? I was overseas for 30 years, whatever it might be. But I know that whoever he is dealing with, he is not telling them the truth. Of and course. so with that, I thought there's so many people out there that are like this. There's different types of predators. Some predators just overpower women. That's what they do. They see an opportunity and boom, the next thing you know, they're being assaulted. But then there's predators like Rich who killed my sister. And he was the one who was charming. And in a short definition, he was too good to be true. And mm. we found out so many things after my sister was killed that we didn't know about him. Mm. And, and, and do you think, do you think that it was the charm? Do you think your sister at any point had any clue about this? Because I think it's important and I definitely want to know more about the amazing work you're doing. But also, uh, as as women, you know, sometimes we get that gut feeling that maybe it is too good to be true. And like, what can we think of in our own personal lives that you think that maybe maybe it was a red flag for your sister and, and, and she kind of ignore or didn't see any thought on that? I think that just being a younger sister to my, to my older sisters, I always heard them in the other rooms growing up, you know, they always wanted to be married. And I think that was Bev. She was, you know, 30 years old and she wanted to be married and Bev was smart. You know, these things don't just happen to mm -hmm. uneducated people. It mm -hmm. can happen to anybody. Absolutely. And Yeah, she was smart. And I, I know she caught on at the end because she confronted him. But there were warning signs. And that's actually what I talk about on my podcast is I go back and I interview her childhood friends, 
some of her friends during that span in her life. And guess what? We all saw warning signs. Our intuition all was there. We just didn't say anything. We didn't know to ask questions. Where in today's world, you know, you meet somebody and every the next thing you know, all your friends are online Googling his name and trying to find his past. You know, we didn't really do that, I don't think, back then. And nor did we have the means to, you know, do these internet searches and go on Facebook and LinkedIn and and just try to connect all the dots and make sure that just because somebody says something, it's true. And for Rich, just because he said stuff doesn't mean that it is true. And again, there's predators just like that. They say things and people just believe it. Right. And I've learned the hard way. Nope, I'm not doing that. I'm When I meet somebody and you tell me something, I think long and hard about it because I've already experienced the too good to be true. I, I think that's such an important point. You know, I'm, I'm Venezuelan, so we learn to be paranoid a little bit because of where we come from. And, you know, there's a lot of kidnaps and things. And so you're always having to think about what you say and maybe you don't say for different reasons. But sometimes I feel people take a lot of stuff at face value. And it's amazing because if there's one country that has a lot of tools to prevent us from falling trap of people like this is the United States. You know, there's background checks. There's, and I do it for my own business when I try to get involved with some company that says they are so great. And then you do a basic search, <laughs> like not, you know, basic and, and you realize they have, I don't know how many lawsuits against them and, and all these things. And, and we don't do the due diligence, just as you said. We don't go that extra step. Yeah, I totally agree. And there's so many resources out there now to where we can check on things. We can confirm things. We can make sure that all the dots connect. And some people... You know, they're just they're just trusting and they just haven't got to that point where they have experienced some type of violent crime or some sort of tragedy in their lives. And and I think that that's one other people. They don't want to believe that something bad can happen. And again, probably because they haven't experienced it yet. But why I started Always Bev is because I have experienced it on a on a very extreme level. And so when I do talk about it, yes, it makes some people uneasy because they haven't experienced that sort of violence in their life. They're like, oh, my God, can these things really happen? And what I want to say is, yes, I know you all watch 2020 on yeah. Friday nights. How many crime stories do we as women need to watch in order for us to, get to, to have the awareness every day when we move about this world? Absolutely. You know, I have... Um the memory of my friend being in a black bag out of her apartment building that I would never forget that when I saw it on TV. And I used to tell other people or other friends, it's like, this is exactly like a 20, this is like a TV show that you're looking and you never think that the person in there could be someone you love dearly and, and that it's dead in the hands of someone that you kind of love dearly too, because they were married for a number of years and dated for a number of years. And, uh, and, and I'm with you. I think this is almost like a responsibility thing to, to go out there and raise awareness and plant the seed on other women's and other people are saying, 
never take, you know, what someone tells you at face value. And because in my case of my friend, I really don't think he had an ulterior motive. I really think it was a bad, an argument gone wrong. And, uh, you know, he threw something in the air and I think it landed on her head and he killed her and he didn't know how to deal with that. But that's, I'm sure that if that got to that point, there was some violence that had been shown in the past somewhere that she, and she was extremely smart lady, uh, that she let, you know, slip because you don't just throw something that ends up in your head uh, on an argument. And that's my opinion. So I think we have to like, you know, be vigilant about what's going on around us and how people behave around us. Yes, I think I think you're right. I think very rarely in this world does violence happen without a warning sign. So for that to be just one act of domestic violence turned into murder, personally, I find that hard to believe. It could be possibly there was high tempers, you know, whatever it was, maybe a car door slamming, you know, things that didn't happen all the time. And again, a lot of women and, and probably men who were in some sort of bad relationship, they don't want to share the bad things. You know, they only want us to know the good things that they live in this fantasy, happy marriage. When in reality, a lot of times when we're looking at people who possibly have an unhealthy relationship, we see the warning signs. We can see the inadequacies that are happening of why are you here alone or where mm -hmm. is so-and-so when this happens, uh, you know, for certain occasions or when you're around certain people, that stuff is intentional. And to me, those are warning signs. Absolutely. So, so with always Beth, like I read your mission. So, and that's a big mission is spreading the word, raising awareness. Can you just share like anything in terms of anybody that's listening out there? How can they either become more aware about domestic violence or how can they uh, be part of this? Mm. Well, one, I think that I started a podcast uh, about a few months ago and mm -hmm. I tell the story of my sister mm -hmm. and I tell the story from her childhood friend and the different events that she experienced with my sister's killer and how her intuition kicked in. And I go from person to person to person, including Bev's sister, Bev's twin sister, Karen. And she just says, I couldn't describe it, but there was something that wasn't right. And that's the whole thing for women that are listening. Intuition does not need a definition. Intuition is a feeling. It might be your heart speeds up. It might be the palms of your hands start sweating. It might be you're like, oh my God, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I couldn't wait to get out away from him. It's a feeling and you don't, people, sometimes people say, well, what's wrong? What happened? And the woman will, will respond and say, I don't know, nothing happened. I just had a bad feeling. That's enough. The feeling that you get is your intuition. It's a sixth sense. It is telling you to be aware this person is not right. And so I think for me, my class, we talk about predators that we know, like I said, that might just overpower you. If you're in an isolated area, if you're running with your headset on, they might just overpower you. We talk about avoiding areas of isolation. But the other thing we talk about in my class is the manipulation, the charm, people that are trying to work their ways into your inner circles and the different ways 
that they do it. Men can be extremely charming. And you have to ask yourself, are they charming or is this charming? Which one is it? Mm-hmm. Interesting. These are, you know, I, I even learn, and I'm, as I said, I consider myself super paranoid. <laughs> I, I, I travel for business quite a bit, and I'm telling you, I'm 47. I still put a bottle, an empty bottle, and a chair underneath the, the, the door at the hotel room, like my dad <laughs> told me like when I was 20, in case someone comes in the middle of the night. I, mm-hmm. I know someone else whose friend got murdered in a hotel room during a business trip where the guy at the reception was obsessed with her and they, uh, he went in through, you know, one of those adjacent uh, rooms. And and so she always tells me when you travel, ask them not to be, you know, those rooms that uh, connect with another room. And then these things you don't think about and they make a lot of sense that, oh my God, in the middle of the night, someone can come and, 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 you know, catch you in your sleep. It's true. And most people think, Or most people will say, oh, those things, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But here you are. You know a story of a woman that was murdered in a hotel room because someone came through the door. I know that story. And I guarantee you, it's not the same story. I got to a hotel once. I was exhausted, took an early morning flight. And I said, let me just lay down for just a few minutes before I have to go to my event. And I laid down on the bed. And as I laid down on the bed, I realized I had an adjacent door. And I said, check to make sure that that door is locked. And I was like, of course it's locked, you know, but I said, get up and check. Mm -hmm. And I got out of bed and I checked and both the doors were unlocked. And I said, see, those are the sort of things that if the wrong person is on the other side of that, if someone with the hotel or a janitor is connected to that, they know that they have access to you in an isolated area. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I agree with you. It's like you have, it's unfortunate that we have to think like that, but you have to, the worst that can happen is you plan for the worst situation. Nothing happens, but you plan and you consider it, right? That rather than if you think everything, everything is okay. So I know that this, this must be hard for you because obviously it, in a way, it honors the life of your sister. And I think it's something that you're almost like paying it forward to other women. Maybe you're saving lives just with your advice. But I'm sure it takes a toll because it's emotionally must be rough for you. Isn't it a little bit? Uh, I think it's it's interesting that you say that. I've taught the class now since fall 2018. And I talk about my sister, but I also speak about other victims because I think there's different ways that victims are attacked. So I try to educate through other victims. But somewhere during COVID, I was teaching an online course, and I said to myself, Bev's picture came up, and I said out loud, this is the story I speak about the least. And when I woke up the next day, I said, Now, why would you speak about her story the least? And I was like, that's because it's the hardest. And that's why I actually launched my podcast, because I thought her story has so many learning points to it. The manipulation and the charm and the intuition of of everybody and the stories that my parents have told over the years where it's like how he would push the limits, how he would sit at a dinner table, just the four of them and take a bottle of wine when he finished pouring it. And he'd put the bottle down on the floor by the leg of the chair. Now, if you know my parents, 
that's poor etiquette. You don't do that around Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Jordan. <laughs> but those are the sorts of things he did to test the waters. Mm. And the stories are eerie, but it's been for me really cathartic to come forward after all these years and say, let me talk about a lot of different ways that somebody can be manipulated. Absolutely. And how, how your parents doing, how that I'm sure that this is very, I mean, as a parent, you never uh, stop grieving your child. Are they supportive of, of this? I think it's very, I, I think it's no, they're not into always Bev as much as I'm into always Bev mm -hmm. for my family. I think, you know, I've asked everybody to participate on the podcast. Bev's twin sister, Karen did. It was very difficult for her. But I think she provided, you know, very good insight about her experience with Rich. And I'm okay. I mean, I'm okay that they don't embrace it. For me, I just feel like it happens so often to women. And there's got to be more people out there. We all know you look sound like a woman that knows that these things happen. The only way women are going to learn is if we share the stories. That's the only way we're going to learn. But just to cross our fingers and just run to our cars as fast as we can, like you have to understand what you need to do to empower yourself. You have to know. And it's not about being scared. It's not about running to your car being scared. It's about you being able to choose, hey, can you walk me to my car? Instead of saying yes, when someone who creeps you out says, want me to walk you to your car? We have to understand we have those choices. And if we understand and take the time to make good choices throughout our days, we can stay safe. And that is empowering. Absolutely. And no one can take better care of you than yourself, right? Absolutely. Uh, not too long, but sometimes I even scare myself. I, I was recently, well, before COVID, one of my last trips, I was at a hotel and it was late, like 11 o'clock. And there was this guy hanging around the lobby. It was I, I don't know, that feeling that you just described, like, hmm, strange, it's late. And so I was going to go to, I just had checked in. I was going to go into my room and I see him hanging out, like right in the elevator area. So, you know, I went to a different floor. I went through, I don't know, I was like on the fourth floor. So I say, no way he's going to know which floor I mean. So I went to the sixth floor <laughs> and then went down the stairs to the fourth floor so that he couldn't know. And then I'm thinking, am I really crazy, you know, like of the stuff I do? But then I don't want to risk it. I much rather seem a little crazy, go a little bit out of my way mm -hmm. than, than just have a stranger at 11 o'clock knowing exactly which floor I mean, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And the, the great thing about your story is the awareness that you saw somebody without a purpose and you saw him lingering and you saw him kind of look up and trying to understand what your next move was. That's the whole key is the awareness. And some people are, oh, I've, I've got to the hotel so late. Oh, I'm just so tired. You know, and, and like I said, we all see warning signs. If you saw that man and he ended up following you to your room, you might say, he just came out of nowhere. But when you play it back and people are like, what happened? Tell me about when you checked in. You would yeah. say, oh, there was this guy lording around the elevator. He was watching me. And that's what I mean when I say very rarely does violence happen without a warning sign. It's like 
waking up and seeing a car across the street that's not normally there. Some people just right away say, oh, the neighbors probably have somebody over. Well, you don't know that. I'm not saying you should be alarmed. I'm saying, but process it. Process that if now if somebody knocks on your door, now if you're out in the yard and somebody approaches you, you're like, hey, wait a minute, somebody's in the neighborhood. You already have done the math. You're staying a step ahead. And that's how we can stay safe. Well, I definitely love it. And I think it's a very important work. So I, we definitely need to know the name of your podcast. Ah, well, it's always Bev, The Ripple Effect. Okay, we'll definitely we'll have it on the show notes with together with uh, with your web page. And, uh, and I think, you know, I encourage everybody to check it out. Bef- besides, you know, the the amazing work and, and bringing awareness and you know you just have to do we have to do this for each other you know we have to tell these stories uh, as barbie saying because they do happen unfortunately and uh, i don't think i cannot think of anything that honors more your sister's life than than you passing on and, and potentially saving others lives so i know it must be hard for your family but i think you're very brave and very courageous mm-hmm. to to really stand up and, and do this. Well, listen, I'm going to call you more because I feel like you and I can talk a lot about this topic. Absolutely. So th- thank you for saying that. And, you know, it's not about, I mean, I, I'm, I'm honored to do it. I'm glad I'm doing it. And it's something that, you know, I have found my passion after all these years. I have just found something that really makes me feel like I'm going to make a difference with my life. Wow. And, and that's uh, normally I, I, I finish the interview saying what makes you tick and you just put it in such a nice way that you find another passion. I'm curious to know, is there anything else when Barb feels down and you feel like, oh, my God, am I am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what am I doing? Is there anything else that uh, helps you connect to your true essence? Ah, prayer. <laughs> yeah, that always prayer, helps. Just, with you it. know. Help me make good decisions. Keep everybody safe. That well, that I cannot think of a better way. I, I think that one keeps me ticking as well. That that is inf- infallible. That one. Mm. <laughs> well, Barb, it's been great to have you. Uh, good luck, and thank you for keeping uh, other women safe. Yes, thank you for having me on Back to Basics. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. And until the next time.